Hi, this is Buzz Burbank. I never listen to Let's Talk About Treks, but if I was going to listen to a show about treks, it would be this one. Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This is Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 3, Choose to Live. I 100% choose, beyond a shadow of a doubt, live. You decided to end the path that you're on? No, what? what? Well, that's the way you, you will live, because the path <laughs> that you're on, my friend, has come to an end. <laughs> Specifically, the end of my sword going through your gut, should you continue on the path. What if you like in the middle of the battle? You like all of a sudden you just you know what? <laughs> you know what? I I kind of thought about it, and let's let's not do this. I'm gonna I'm just gonna go get some get a coke. Is that cool? Like forget about all this stuff. This really I've, I've reconsidered. Now that you've broken my sword in half. I mean, see, the thing is, I have no weapons here. In order for me to win, I have to uh, defeat someone with a weapon. So how about you know what? I've I've made another choice. Very wise, my friend. The moose out front should have told you, but we're uh, we're people, and we're doing a podcast. The moose out front. Moose out front should have told you. What? That was a uh, national lampoons. In case you, uh, in case you would like to fill out your bingo card with that today. <laughs> I don't remember Welcome which one to, it was. Let's talk about meese. Let's talk about mooses. Mices. All right, so miss. I'm so glad that you guys have chosen. Yeah. To join us again today it is our pleasure to make this show and just so you know who our includes my name is jack dorino and i am earl gray our show as you know is called let's talk about treks you saw it in the title when you clicked on it and then the moves out front just told you evidently today we're on about star trek discoveries production number 403 which was aired on the uh, the 2nd of december 2021 the title is choose to live or choose to live i'm not sure which i like some a lot of their songs Dolphins cry. And I, and I often live live, live from wherever I'm at. It's I've heard that mine is in a simulation. Your, your, your life is being simulated in The Sims 30, being played by some being out there somewhere. Yeah, this is the 819th. system called the PlayStation 51. So this is the 819th episode overall of Star Trek, of which I am completely overjoyed. 819 hours, give or take, of, of Star Trek. Yes. This episode was written by Terry Hughes Burton. Yeah. Are, are you wondering? Well, you... I'm wondering if this Burton is related to other Burtons. Ah, are... yes. That is the wonder that we, we were all wondering. Tell us other things about production so I can look that up. Well, see, it was directed by Christopher J. Byron? Bar Barney? His name is Byrne, like David Byrne. <laughs> Who? Burn, David David Burn, Talking Heads. That's not how you spell burn. That is how you spell burn. No, it's not. It is. You don't read a lot, do you? <laughs> That's not true. Right. Um, yeah, no, she's not. There's no relation. Anyway, moving on. Okay. She's the co-executive producer of a show called Warrior Nun. Isn't that interesting? Warrior Nun. Yes. Sound familiar? No. What do you mean, Warrior Nun? Just the yeah. term doesn't sound familiar to you? Koat Malat, Warrior Nun, hello? Oh. Uh, are we watching the same television show? Maybe. Warrior Nuns, that's what the Koat Malat are. So anyway, Terry Hughes Burton, 
who is the uh, did I say writer of the episode? That yeah, is, the writer. Is what of the she episode. did. Yep. So she's also uh, she's also the writer of a television series that Purdue, uh, premiered on Netflix in uh, 2020 in August 2020. I'm sorry, on July 2020 it premiered and it was renewed on August 19th 2020. So this is her show Warrior Nun, and then she comes over to Star Trek and she writes. Guess what she writes? A show about Warrior Nun. Yes, thank you. Now we've connected that. Time. All right. What is the first thing that you wanted to talk about about this episode? This Good. is the first time that we open with something other than Discovery since it is. Oh, oh, that's a very good point. What did you think of this ship that was there, though? I had a vague impression that it might have been related to the California class. So there are many things that are not connected to the vessel. Like mm-hmm. there are three sets of engines, right? So there's a dorsal ventral set, right? That have the little blue lights on. And, and for there's those a, don't, don't speak nautical navy. What is that? Oh, so there's one on the top and one on the bottom. Okay. Those have blue lights on them. Yes. There is one on the port, one on the starboard, or if you prefer, mm-hmm. one on the port, one on the starboard side. Those don't have lights on them. Uh, there's two more that are sort of like down below the ship. So that is a, a third set of what I think are engines. What we normally think of as the saucer section is mm-hmm. as we do it in the future, apparently the saucers section, because there's <laughs> there's a floating section that like rings around the front. That part isn't attached yeah. to anything else. It's, uh-huh. it's a wholly floating section. So instead of detached warp nacelles, it's a detached saucer ring. Yeah, what's interesting and it's is that flat the, on the front, it, there is a flat part at the front. Yes, it's perfect for for ramming. It's also uh, I've noticed uh, perfect for opening bottles. No, I doesn't it look like a bottle opener. I have no idea. I don't drink. I don't. Open. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was of no use to bring up then. There's the kind that's kind of like a ring with a hole in the middle, and there's a kind that is blunt on the end. It's got a little hook underneath of it, and you lift off the old fashioned. Either one, really. I think it has sort of a just a sort of a bottle opener design. Okay. Well, like, I, mean, I would definitely pay for a bottle opener in this design starship. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, well, Star Trek, CBS, Paramount, all y'all, get on that, because that's a good, that's a great <laughs> bottle opener. As a matter of fact, it should be a multi-tool. Like, I should be able to whip it out and, like, turn, spin it around. There's, like, a Phillips head, you know, from the dorsal ventral, you know, warp nacelles. And then there's, like, there's clearly, like, a, 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 a slotted edge on the, uh, on the, uh, the aft section there. I don't know if you noticed, but if they have a shuttle bay on this ship, Mm-hmm. They also have a door. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? It looks like that little angle on the back there. Yes. Like it's just a big door too. Like yes, yes, it's a very. It, that's that's exactly what I'm getting at. It looks like a big old door. Yeah. Which was brilliant of them. They built a door on the ship. Oh. And it looks like the, so. It looks like the the shuttle bay is like a shelf. One of the first things I really noticed about this. Sure is he doesn't hesitate to just start bashing some skulls. Sure. On the other hand, there's been four attempts already, so he's probably prepared, but at the same time, he's ready to get his hands dirty. He, you know, he's not like the 24th century. Sure, I mean, he may also be an officer who came up through the ranks in security and then became a captain. You know, and perhaps they're using things like specially secured vessels to do the the dilithium deliveries because they know that people are going to be after the dilithium. So Uh I'm sure they would have specially trained people to, you know, protect their property. Yeah. 
which is why the man is able to pick up a sword and start like running at someone with it as if he knows what to do with a sword you know well, like most people uh, wouldn't know what to do with the sword it's my firm belief yeah well the other thing is though sure. they're doing very hollywood choreography in this it's very open maneuvers and very open positions and if this episode was reviewed by an actual sword wielder person that's practiced with using using swords, they'd be like, uh-huh. "No, he's leaving himself wide open here. He needs to put his guard." You know. Oh, certainly. I, I he was definitely wide open right there. Absolutely. There's a whole bunch of like, one that, later on in the sword fight too. I mean, it's it, Star Trek's not the first one to do it either. I mean, there's a history show that, that does it all the time. It's really bad. Okay, so we we start the episode after, of course, the failed dilithium delivery that you know features the masked ninja Romulans a la Picard, thus starting the episode with what a murder and a theft. Okay, yeah, uh, and then we move on to a meeting that somehow features uh, the president of Navarre, Tarina, President Rillick from the Federation, Admiral Vance from Starfleet, Burnham from Starfleet for some reason. Why is Burnham in this conversation? <laughs> I'm very confused. <laughs> this is like the most high level people in the Federation and the, Burnham. I think that the Discovery has become the flagship since it's the one. It's the only ship with the spore drive. However, that ship that we were just seeing, I can't remember its name right now. It's called the USS Credence, NCC uh, I, 2804. The Credence, seem with, with the saucer section that we we're just mentioning almost seems to maybe have been like it was upgraded with a spore drive i am maybe, not following maybe your a logic feature there. maybe a feature of the you know the saucer ring and then the saucer section maybe those coincide with each other with having the spore drive the the spinnable rings is that yeah. what you're talking about okay yeah. all right Oh, that's interesting. Well, they have talked about, I know that I, we've talked about working on fitting it to other other ships, but mm-hmm. that there hasn't really been success yet. Uh, well, may, maybe they were working on it on the Credence, like the Excelsior. The Excelsior was supposed to be a transwarped vessel, but it wasn't successful, but they still used it in the fleet. Yes, but they were not uh, christening the vessel's new drive system at the same time as they were handling a delicate diplomatic courier mission. Discovery did all kinds of delicate courier missions. Sure. So here's a question. Yes, what is your question? Does the Credence have a le- a legacy uh, <laughs> registry number? I've never heard the Credence. Four digit registry number. That's a very good point. I, I don't know why that is. I mean, it's been almost a thousand years. I mean, you so, figure they would have added a six-digit by now. Uh, so perhaps there's a different sort of logic to the numbering system than we realize. Yeah. Maybe there's some other, you know, purpose for the numbers and their placement of them. So during this meeting, it's revealed that uh, someone's been stealing the lithium since the dark matter anomaly appeared. And I wonder, as I think maybe someone else wondered, is there is a correlation between the two we learn what that correlation is later in the episode what is it the fact that uh oh okay i i do get she it wanted now. them okay. to be able she wanted to be able to move them if, if she needed to yeah so she's been stealing the lithium since the dark matter and all maybe okay all right for some reason i was thinking of like something maybe there's something more nefarious we figure do- after a thousand years that people would recognize and and know the co-op by now but well, how? They kind of, They've been separated by a lack of warp travel for like 150 years. So why would yeah, anyone only know? only 150 years, and that's still 800 years that they that the Kwatmalat have been around. Sure. So, you'd figure they'd be, so how much of African culture do you know? Probably little. 
Right. And they're here present on the planet right now. Yeah. So imagine if they were separated by a planet and distance and like a lot of space that you couldn't get to. Why would you know about them? Okay. So I don't think it's very weird that people wouldn't know about it. It would be, it's, it would be stranger if people did know about them. All right. I do like the idea of this absolute candor being a, a Romulan thread in the Navarre society. And well, and it, it, it's almost the way Vulcans do it too, because they're logical and they can't, they don't lie. So how do you hold candor when you don't lie? You get sure. Well, the thing is that Vulcans do lie though. They withhold the truth. They don't. That is to the Kuat Malat, the there is hardly a distinction. Okay between leaving it out and lying it's yeah the same you're not being straightforward i like the way that this meeting went that everything went very smoothly nobody argues nobody says no i don't want to do that and then everybody just kind of flows along and they all agree with each other they want this to happen and they want they all very much also want to bring in javini alive they're mm -hmm. aware of the I'm, crime she's been committing yeah if there's a meeting of like high powered people, right? Yeah. <laughs> like say for instance, I don't know, the president of the Federation, uh, the president of Navarre, and like the leader of Starfleet. Well, what what is Burnham there for? Why is Burnham there? <laughs> not not that not anything against her, but like Yeah. Well, how is this how is this correlate? I think that possibly they're considering her ship the the head of the fleet. Cause you mean like the flagship? Yeah, the flagship. Thank you. That's the word. Would we do that? Did I? Um, have we? Uh... She has the most advanced ship in the fleet. Nobody else has a spore drive, and she can get anywhere as instantly. They also might have been aware that her mother is, a you know, more or less oh. the head of, or the representative of the Kuat Malat that that is there. Which would mean they would be using Burnham as a pawn in this meeting uh, to throw the fourth party off. I don't think they're doing it maliciously. I, I'm, I'm more leaning towards the fact that the Discovery has spore drive and it's the most important ship in the fleet. Okay, Maybe. so actually as they're having this conversation, I'm realizing that they actually probably had the most we've they've actually had the most experience with the dark matter anomaly so far they've been That's very true. close yeah. to it many times you know they can get close to it and jump away so they actually are probably authorities on the dark matter anomaly so i guess if during this season there are any high level meetings we should be prepared for discovery personnel to be there i really like how the agreements for like say the joint mission just really flow together sure absolutely and uh then later on and a minute later um, they're all very concerned about the safety of uh, Javini, that they're not going to go out of their way to, th this isn't dead or alive. This is straight up, no, we want her alive. Yes. And everybody's in agreement. Nobody's oh, posturing, nobody's peacocking. And, you know, nobody's worried about jurors, my addiction crap. You know, they all just agree. And it just flows. And I got to wonder if that's, you know, they're trying to represent the advancement of these people because certainly today if this meeting if this event were going to go on today on earth there would be you know well what about my culture what about and it's like no well i think everyone did bring up their their what about my culture points burnham gave a little pushback at koat malat the koat malat gave a little pushback you know at navarre navarre even gave a little pushback toward uh burnham like make sure that we're new 
bring her in safely. Okay, yeah, there was some pushback, but once somebody made their point clarifying, mm-hmm. they were like, "Yeah, okay, I got you." There was no more arguing. Yeah. The only thing I question here is when the, the president and Michael are talking privately. Yes. Why is this conversation going on privately? Yeah. Why is this conversation happening at all? <laughs> I kind of appreciate this this conversation because. The Federation president is saying, in no uncertain terms, you are in charge of this mission. The Discovery and Michael Burnham is in charge. Sure. Because there's been episodes before where these kind of conflicts come up. Oh, who's in charge? I thought I was in charge. No, I thought I was in charge. No, I mean, it was implied that I was. So she's just going to straight up say, Michael, you're in charge. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah. The weird part about that is that it is when you add in the factor of her presence uh-huh. in any situation it would immediately put her in charge whether burnham likes it or not it would immediately put burnham in, in charge put the president in charge the president's presence would put the president in charge immediately because every word that she uttered would be say she gets say, say she ends up on the bridge of discovery for some reason i don't know i think that every <laughs> word of hers would be hung upon more tightly than the words of captain burnham well, yeah, but the, the, this like, side meeting here was about Burnham is in charge in this mission. Yes, I understand what the meeting was about. I'm okay. just saying that I think it's a flawed concept because the one thing that can consistently upset that without anyone's intention in intending for that to happen is Rillick's presence. If Rillick is present, she's immediately undermining Burnham just by her presence. Yeah. Is, but, that's all I was getting at. Well, maybe and that was her way also then of saying... I'm not going to be on this mission. I'm not going to check in on you. Like, like exactly. I did last episode. That would be the one point. <laughs> that, would, that would be important to get out of this one. Listen, you got this one. I'm not going with you. I'm not getting your way this time. <laughs> the the one question that, that this also brought up to me is when she's talking about our biggest threat since the burn. Do or did the Borg use dilithium? I am not certain what the Borg used. Okay. Um, did what they happened to the Borg quantum singularities the, the way that the Romulans did? They had quantum slipstream. They had transwarp conduits. They had other faster than warp technology. Sure. I mean, I, I assume they had every method of propulsion that they had assimilated by that point. Yeah. Which they were um, multitude of. And but how did they power or control those reactions? Would be where the dilithium would come in. I don't think a quantum singularity drive requires dilithium. Right. I think you oh, just okay. channel because so, it's the energy is just there. You just channel it, which I guess that's what we use dilithium for. I, I just don't. I don't know the specs of a of a uh, quantum singularity drive. Well, yeah, it just came to my mind since I said the biggest threat since the burn. How how is I mean, the burn the biggest more threat, threatening than the board? The what? But the Borg hasn't the Borg hasn't happened since the burn. Well, they haven't, but they're right. still a threat. Even, not, even not, the, they're not a threat if they haven't been around for hundreds of years. There might be a sleeping threat, but they're still a threat. They could show up at any time that they want. Unless they've been gone extinct. You know, they've been obliterated since in the I last mean, thousand years. If they're unseen, they might as well be. So uh, out of sight, out of mind? I would like to think by now that the Borg must be gone because you would think that they have they would have uh, sapped up some territory using their conduits mm-hmm. by now. Okay. The one thing I also kind of noticed is, is Michael makes a promise there to the uh, president and she 
doesn't know if she can keep that promise. What was I the promise? To bring back uh, Javini. Okay. But I mean, maybe, maybe it's a moot point. My, I have no idea. Okay. I'm just excited about the joint Navarre Federation mission. Yeah, it's the Burnham yeah, team up. Team up. <laughs> so then we move on to uh, Tilly and Saru moment. You got to yeah. have your Tilly and Saru moments, and this yeah, is a Tilly and Saru in the mess moment. Yeah. And let me tell you, I am especially considering your comments uh, last episode regarding the title of this episode. I was very afraid that Tilly is maybe suicidal. She seems kind of despondent. She also seems like darker. I don't know if they're doing like a thing with her her makeup or whatever. Uh And she just seemed very, you know, not the bubbly, congenial Tilly that we usually see. But someone that's far more subdued. Sure, she's not just like a cartoon character in the middle of a bridge pointing her finger in the sky and going, fuck! (laughs) (laughs) When I was making those comments last episode, though, I was more concerned for Booker. Oh, I understand. And, but, you know, I'm very used to Discovery pointing us in one direction and yanking us in the other unexpected direction. So when I saw that Tilly was sad, I was like, oh, I'm going to get ahead of him this time because I, I know they're going to do it. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Tilly. They, this show every week is actually filled with moments of like, I'm sure I got the direction they're going in. It actually went in the other direction. I'm like, damn it, uh-huh. it got me again. Well, and I like how she, when she's talking about uh, watering his plants or misting them the way he does, they bring up the uh, swamp kelp. And uh, the swamp kelp being in, in bloom, he's like, don't touch them. She's like, well, why? And he's like, uh, it's better off if you don't know. And I'm like, that's writer's code for, I have no flipping clue, but I'm not going <laughs> to invent a reason. I just got to write my way out of this corner. Oh, I don't know. I think that there's probably something and that we might learn at some point. Oh, I'd love to learn it, you know, just see what really would happen. Yeah, I don't know whether maybe, it's something oh, that's going to hurt Tilly or something that's going to hurt the plant. Oh, kind of like touching a stalactite or stalagmite. What does that do? If you, if you touch a stalactite, is you leave bo- your oil, the oils from your skin on the stalactite and it uh-huh. can't grow anymore. Uh, welcome to Science Corner, everyone. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed oh, I'm sorry. Was that the that for no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just wanted to... That was great. Okay, thanks for that. Now we know. Did you notice that when, the, when we finally get to Stamets and his, you know, wh- wh- whatever that is, engineer... Uh, spore drive not, operations. Not, yeah, spore drive operations. Thank you. Yeah, that's where his office is. Just behind him to the left was a vapor of some sort coming off. And I'm like, wait, why? where is that coming from? What, why aren't they worried about that? You know, it's the sauna. I guess. And it's just coming, kind of coming out of nowhere, but any other time in the show when that would be going on it's like that would be a problem we need to stop that venting <laughs> it's the foam that cleans the uh the spark throwers that okay. light up whenever whenever they get a mild hit the bridge has to call down and tell them to turn on their their rock their rock releasers <laughs> and their spark and their flamethrowers <laughs> so they can be in the right mindset for the battle the spark machine and <laughs> yeah Spark are they rock the rock. rocks or foam rocks? I don't. They are. Uh, what did they? They went into something. They go. They go into nebulas. Remember, and they collect <laughs> pieces of nebula with their buzzer collectors, and they turn it into rocks. Bizarre. They just compress it into rocks, so that you know when the when the yeah. ship rocks, rocks can come out. Because what else is supposed to happen when the ship rocks? Oh no. Michael comes into spore drive operations, and she she goes to Booker. He, he's she's like, well, any any progress? And he's like. 
oh yeah, um, Samich has a new theory. And I'm like, no, no, bad, bad science show. It's not a theory, it's a hypothesis. You feel like you won something? See, the thing is, a, a lot of people like to use the argument, oh, well, it's just a theory for, uh -huh. I don't know, uh, gravity or evolution. Sure. And general public doesn't understand the way that science means and uses the word theory. And okay. when the general public says, I have a theory, they really mean I have a hypothesis. Okay. And when a science fiction wants to talk about the question that they're asking for the scientific process, they should be trying to give the public an accurate vocabulary and saying he has a new hypothesis. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you're suggesting that CBS or, or Paramount rather is doing the public a disservice by not using proper scientific uh, jargon in a science fiction franchise. Correct. Okay. Especially one as such scientifically driven as Star Trek. On on behalf of just Jack Dorino, Paramount, I forgive you. It's it's really okay. I really don't mind. I I, I get some people are bothered by it, but you know what? Uh, it's it's cool. Star Trek. Thank you, thank you, thank you for for all that you do for the community. Oh yeah, I'm grateful for all that they do for the community. <laughs> I have a swap there. One small thing that they can do a little better. And you're gonna start a letter writing campaign. Damn it! Get your sciencey <laughs> words right. Even scientists still talk about, oh, I have a theory about that. Yeah, it, you know, our language is, a, is an evolving language, and maybe these words have, maybe one of those words has become, you know, passe to use or, or ancient now at this point. I'm just tired of arguing. <laughs> oh, with, but I uh, also wouldn't expect Booked to distinguish naturally the difference between a hypothesis and a theory. So with well, him delivering, the, being the one delivering that line, I would say that fits. Wink. I wink, thought wink. of that. But then I consider the idea that it's a thousand years into the future. Yes. Hopefully by then, maybe more of this scientifically accurate language would be reaching the le lexicon of the general public. By I mean, then. book's a truck driver. Just so, just to clarify, like, well, I don't know what you're expecting well, he's a, of refinement from this truck driver. Not, no offense to any truck drivers, but like he, I, I'm sure he doesn't spend his time like hobnobbing with royalty. <laughs> I mean, except for the queen that lives on the ship. Put in mouth in three, two... What? Nothing. Uh, in that scene, by the way, when Burnham pops in on uh, on yeah. spore drive operations, uh -huh. uh, she comes in specifically to take his ship. I just want to point out. She softened the blow first with the, some other some other bullshit. But then she was <laughs> like, hey, uh, I'm going to take your ship. Hope you don't mind. Thanks. Lots. See you later. Love you. Bye. Right? Oh, and about the wormhole, I came up with my own hypothesis what if this dma what if it's a centuries old romulan experiment with uh singularities gone awry or oh. and thought that it, they destroyed it but here it is coming someone's back. playing oh. with it what if it was romulan because i did wonder okay so here's something i did wonder is divinity at one point as things are starting to reveal says that she was traveling in the area and then she heard that telepathic call mm -hmm. so i do wonder what was she doing in that area well, it doesn't necessarily have to be nefarious. I didn't say that it was. I just you you were talking about maybe, you know, yeah. a possibility of some Romulan connection, and she's Romulan, well, so I, I was thinking maybe there was a connection. That's possibly, but my my suggestion was maybe it was a past Romulan connection, like maybe a 
uh, an experiment gone wrong, maybe in the 25th century, because they're they're the one who ones who use quantum or singularities as their their control and their warp drive. Sure. And this certainly is behaving a lot like a variable form of a singularity. You think that it's not being currently controlled by a consciousness? You think that it's a natural result of something else, perhaps not I, happening here and now? Sure. Yeah. Okay, that's that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, maybe they could even be trying to lead into some sort of a temporal cold war kind of stuff. Huh. I think that I think they should bring that back up. There was a there was a mention of the temporal cold wars, uh, and it was something about it. They had have the the Federation had started to, you know, sort of fall apart before the temporal cold wars even started. Do you remember that? They showed the alien. Yeah, that that. Oh, why time travel was illegal. And they were breaking the law, so they wanted to arrest them mm-hmm. back when they first got to the future. Right, so the Temple Wars apparently happened a while ago. Yeah. But I want, I do, yeah, I, I think it would be fair to think that possibly they could have started, uh, you know, sometime now, quote unquote, with something having to do with the dark matter anomaly. Getting back to the, the DMA uh, and Stamets and, and book talking, I love Stamets's line and explanation to book when he when book is talking about wanting to join in on talking to the science council i I love how he is is just kind of letting him know hey i can't talk about what's going on without talking about the destruction of his loss sure i i think he should have done that with his uh with his tricorder he could have like tapped on his com badge and there would have been a whole like advisory warning like (laughs) warning do not join me if you are not prepared to hear graphic yada 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 just like it's a what do you call that like a parental advisory yeah like right at the beginning before like he even had to explain anything it's just warning danger (laughs) if you are sensitive to lights but i just love the phrasing it just kind of touched me a little bit in this episode it was very caring but it was also very thinking for somebody else. No, 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 oh. you can't handle that. It's gonna be bad for you and it might make you no, sad. Bitch, get out of my face. What are you talking about? Watching. I'm trying to find out what the fuck happened to my people and you're telling me don't think about what happened to your people? No, it's exactly what I wanna think about. This is exactly what I wanna do to figure out what the fuck is going on in the world, in the universe, all over the place and figure out how to get rid of this fucking guilt that I'm carrying around. You're telling me no, ignore it. No, go do something else. Well, read a fucking book we'll... while we're trying to figure out what the fuck <laughs> happened to your planet. Why don't you eat a dick statements? Oh wait, you already do, Never mind. I'll see you later, I'm book. <laughs> Talk about mic dropping. We'll have a Well, that was close. Uh, something. No, no. You, you mentioned how Book is wrestling with his guilt, but I don't think he, had, he was able to identify it until later on in the episode when the Vulcan president brought it up. I also but think I get that what he mentioned it previously about... that he, he should have seen something because there was a scene when he was forward, rewind, forward, rewind, forward, rewind, his cockpit video. No. Huh? You know, and he was trying to find something. He was trying to find some, what he should have seen. He should have seen something remember oh okay so we knew from i knew from there that it was there was a guilt-based reaction happening yeah and of course survivor's guilt is a thing so i'm sure someone would have said by now hey survivor's guilt you might feel a little bit because like everyone that you grew up with in your entire planet and everyone who has your dna all over the universe is dead now you're sad about it well 
except for the only person really kind of knew that he was kind of doing that was Michael. No, everyone knew that. That is like telling me that someone 85 years old died unexpectedly. Because my answer, my answer would be like, really? You were surprised? You didn't? <laughs> you really didn't expect it? It was totally out of the blue for you? I mean, like, if considering what happens in a car accident. Considering what happens to Book, you're going to, he's going to have survivor's guilt because he is the only one of anything left of all of them, ostensibly. Okay. So you're just going to assume that he automatically is going to feel yeah, that way? Yeah, I would just, well, no, 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 no. I'm assuming that everyone would, would expect him to have that. I do like how as soon as Book says, no, I can handle it, man, Stem is just kind of, okay. Yeah, of course, because it's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, Hugh has told me about thinking about thinking for other people. So the next thing that we get into is uh, the sickbay scene, and Gray and uh, Adira are looking at Gray's new body, and it's being replicated or whatever. Sure. And finally, Guardian Z shows up, and when Guardian Z starts talking, they start actually looking in the direction that Adira always looks, and look almost looking at gray and talking to gray even though he can't see him he's still being respectful and i i noticed i picked up on that and noticed that that he's am i making sense yeah yeah i think that it was probably pretty easy to follow adira's gaze to where she yeah. was indicating that gray was and then talk to that space i think yeah. that's reasonable it was really good to see guardian z again i i i felt that he could be an important member of Chill society that would you know help Chill get back to the federation uh -huh. you know on the whole so i'm glad to see him guiding the trill the trill yeah. affairs in, in this respect because this is the one where that he championed I, I wonder if they have noticed that he's sort of like been hand in hand with the creation of two new types of trill you know one is as has a human host and the the other is a disembodied conscious form yeah that has now been put into a golem and he was there for the creation and advocated for the creation and had a hand in the creation of both of them of two new okay. kinds of trill i wonder if he'll be like some sort of revered figure moving forward well i mean he's certainly already revered sure the other thing i noticed about the scene though is every time gray said tell them this and he said says a whole bunch of detailed stuff whether it's gratitude or you know consent or whatever and i couldn't figure out how come adira never translate for gray literally she yeah she always paraphrased she's she's being more of an interpreter than than a translator i do think that the scenes themselves in the show would be much longer if well, the I, same line had to be say said again uh and i yeah. appreciate her paraphrasing and i think that her paraphrasing yeah. like really sums up the intent of what he's saying I don't think that anything is lost in the translation. Uh, Guardian Z finally asks, do we have the consent of Tall? Yeah. And previously with Dax or it's always as if Dax, the worm, is just along for the ride. And nobody says, hey, you know, Dax, we're going into this dangerous situation do you, that Z is taking you to or Ezri is taking you to. Do you want to come? Are you, do you consent? Oh. I, oh, I get what you're saying. I I feel like when the two beings are one during, say, the run of Deep Space Nine, that uh -huh. speaking to the host is speaking to the host in Jadzia decks. Speaking to the host is speaking to the symbiote. On the other hand, most of the time, it's stuff that would be affecting both individuals. 
Whereas what they're doing now is directly affecting the symbiote because you know the consciousness is being removed from Tal, and Tal would need to have also actually have direct consent. I wonder why that is. Why would that be? Well, I mean, it's almost as if Gray is going to be unjoined or never had the join. I wonder why the symbiont wouldn't be able to remember the memories of Gray if Gray know. leaves and goes I mean, elsewhere. They haven't. I, I don't think they've quite figured out how the Gray consciousness. Why is only Gray presenting themselves to uh, Adira? Why? Why not also the other the other tall? Yeah, hosts? like did they all reject? gray is that wasn't he only joined a very short amount of time uh, maybe he was know. too new and never fully you know integrated oh maybe i'm sure they'll dig into it deeper in later episodes i'm not sure they will <laughs> this is true Hopefully at least three more seasons next we're taking a walk it's yeah. uh it's the captain xo walk it sounded like we were trying to suggest that tilly might be better as a diplomat than the job that she is in right now. Okay. Uh, and I wasn't sure why that would be something that would be coming up. Like, we're, we're discussing Tilly's future on her behalf. He said to Tilly in this, uh, the, the mess hall, I will help you find variable things to, to do, or new experiences or whatever. And he's opening that door for her, and, and offering this position he kind of has her permission already to do this. I think what's odd to me is that the characters are so willing to consider uh, one of their fold leaving without protesting. Say like, that again? Usually if someone wants to leave, they're like, no, 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 don't go. But yeah. they're, especially considering this team and how much they've gone through and the different experiences they might have to go through, were they out there together instead of, or were they out there alone? You know individually wow. instead of like together yeah and the like the level of scrutiny they would have on them all the time etc cetera, etc cetera. so it just felt odd that they would be pushing her out of the nest well i don't think she's necessarily trying to leave the discovery she's just exploring career paths within the confines of the discovery like you know diana troy going for the command training even though she was in medical and medical doesn't usually go for command training unless they want oh so you hospital. mean like so you feel like maybe she just wants some cross training sort of thing yeah Worf had some command training the armor that they're wearing on the away team yeah that it's very, were, very bold choice it reminded me so much of the mirror universe armor that tilly wore oh, as okay the captain of the uss discovery sure interesting not only that so i mean it made me wonder if the the prop department was kind of repurposing sure. that armor yeah because they thought they'd maybe never needed it again I think that would make sense. So they just painted all over all the gold, and they just we'll make it all black. <laughs> With but some then, lights on it, it's pretty good. If, if that's yeah. what they did, I doubt that's what they did. Slap on a uh, Starfleet logo on the corner that just kind of is there, but to indicate that it's not Mary Universe, but it's actually really <laughs> our universe. I'll give you that possibility. I will say that probably slaps on is not the right well uh, the right word for it because I, there's nothing slapped together about this show. <laughs> Well, no, there's not. But in they, the I mean, all kinds of shows repurpose props all the time. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. But, but the other thing I thought was kind of odd about it, when did Star Trek develop a shiny leather fet fetish? I think we started out in Discovery Episode 1, pulling uh -huh. the leather into place. I think that we learned that from Farscape. 
and also from the mirror universe the in deep space nine okay everyone was very fond of their leather uh, Belana even had some leather for a minute le- oh yeah she well i mean that's always been the Klingon fashion though. sure yeah when she did the uh bar to the damned or whatever yeah was. yeah well yeah i guess ahead. when the uh whatchamacallums they split her in half the vidians huh the vidians yeah that's what i was gonna say but yeah. i couldn't for some reason i had hey um i think we need to take a commercial break let's take a break we'll be right back this is alexa and i never ever ever listen to let's talk about treks does tilly think that by by all the nuns calling each other sister does she think that they're related why do you say that she gets hesitant about talking about arresting Javini. Oh, I think since she's doing the, you know, the internal equation of, of friendship to family. Okay. I don't think she thinks they're all related. They're all Romulan or Vulcan or Navarre. Well, underneath all the latex, they're all human. Yeah, this is true. This is very true. Good point. <laughs> One thing I noticed is that... What is that? There's two distinct dressing styles of the Kuat Malat when it's one of the ones that is dressed like the nuns, like Mrs. Burnham, uh-huh. and that what this one that just got blood on her cheek. Okay. I th- thought it, that it was uh, Michael's mom getting stabbed. Are you saying the two different dressing styles? Yeah. Please tell me about them. You have the blue nun outfit, and you have the black ninja outfit. The blue is so uh, dark that I don't think it shows a distinction on my on my television. The outfit that. Michael's mom is wearing okay. a very deep navy blue. Yes, it is. Sure. Okay. Like, it's similar to the first season Discovery uniforms. Deeper than that. Okay. But the outfit of the first person to beam in was black. And it was a, more like a ninja outfit because the, the legs were brought in up to the calves and their cloak maybe it was tied up or removed. And it was like they were actually ready for battle. Oh, I see. Maybe they were not Kowat Malat, but maybe they were some sort of hired assassins. Mercenaries? Yeah, who were working for Javini. Because they didn't mention that any other Kowat Malat, people in the Kowat Malat, had been with her. Like, they didn't say Javini and a bunch of these other Kowat Malat. Oh, like her, they didn't say Javini and her gang or something? Right, and her, yeah, they just said her. So maybe she hired these people and I, maybe that's the uniform she makes them wear. I wonder if there's any sponsorship on the back. Sponsored by Quark's Bar. <laughs> they, they have to go sit outside like Starbases and try to sell candy bars to pay for their uniforms. <laughs> we'll give you some Dilithium. One bar of cold press Latin. Javini's Ninjas. Exactly. We just want to pay for that trip to Andor. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't know. Wrong universe. I'm sorry? Oh, never mind. Okay, is there an Andor in that uh, history thing too? No comment. Okay, because I've I've always had static whenever I hear anyone say the word Andoria, and I'm always really annoyed. And I was like, it's an Andor, and then like sometimes it's not Andor, and sometimes it is Andor, and sometimes it's Andoria, and I don't think I like Andoria <laughs> <laughs> because I don't like Andorians from Andoria, I like Andorians from Andor, like Bajor from Bajorans. Okay, but that's either here nor there. Well, are you sure it's not Bajoria? The Bajora. The Bajora from Bajoria. Bajorans. <laughs> I like the discussion about not taking phasers 
and they have a couple of little counterpoints. But, you know, when Michael says, you know, well, we're not going to go in unarmed. And her mom says, well, did I say unarmed? And they whip out swords for him. I, I just thought that was a nice little moment. I mean, I guess you could call it like a mic drop. No, the mic drop was a sword drop instead. <laughs> this is the thing about when you hand Tilly material, the first thing she does is drop it. Like, that's what happened when they gave her the ship. The first thing that happened was she dropped it. Whoops. Give her a sword. She drops it. Whoops. Like, well, at least she didn't do what Troy does when they when they hand her a ship. Give her a... Uh, that's too soon. Too soon? Okay. <laughs> How dare you speak ill of that lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have our studio. Oh, this is true. This is true. We give thanks to the gods of Viridian. <laughs> Hi, this is Isaac from Unplanned Trek. Just letting you know that I've never ever heard of let's talk about tricks why is a deer in a blanket there's usually some sort of submersion that happens when you're dealing uh -huh. with the symbiont and the beings that are inside of it well there must have been some sort of ritual that happened too or because they have the flame there have they done something like this before because there was definitely a ceremony but he's he just kind of flying off the cuff well, no, I, I think that what happened here is that we've paraphrased some of the Ziantara because we've seen it before. Oh, okay. So now we can, like, fill all the margins of it. So is that a holographic flame? How do you have an open flame on a star? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a holographic frame flame because otherwise uh, Zora would have put it out by now. <laughs> what got me was that, of course, Z might be able to tell through interfacing from where he is, which is on Trill, with the computers where the Gullum body and Tal are, and mm -hmm. be able to tell that the connection between Gray and Tal has been severed. Sure. Mm -hmm. But then the hologram holds his hand over the Gullum Gray and says, I don't sense him here. How would he sense him there? He's a hologram. Well. He's not even there. He's on the planet Trill. How does the doctor sense anything? He's not that kind of hologram. He's a holographic projection. What do you mean he's not that kind of hologram? Yeah, he's being projected through a broadcast because that's why he's a little staticky. But and he's evidently not a solid hologram because later, you know, Gray is like, "Oh, I, when I can see you finally in person, I'm going to give you a hug." Right. Um, so but how, that doesn't how, mean that the hologram has no ability to sense things or see things. So you're saying that the hologram transmits mental energy as well? Well, I mean, we don't know exactly. Do you think the Betazoids have cell phones they can send emotions through? I wonder if having a cell phone connection would help kind of work like a conduit. Like an antenna? Yeah. So like Betazoids could just have a small black square in their pocket and if they touch it, then they could immediately be connected to whomever they want to on the planet that also has that small black square. This is a technological device, by the way, I'm saying. Yeah. So you, instead of a cell phone, because it doesn't need to have like numbers or digit, you know, anything on it, because it's it's a telepathy device, right? So you just touch it, and you connect to the person that is also touching theirs. I know that Troy can sense stuff through space. She could she could sense the Tin Man. By extension, they should have known that Tal was out there. If they can sense the connection of a trill that's... You mean Gray? No, Tal. They shouldn't have been surprised when Tal showed up. And they shouldn't have been surprised that Adira was the host of Tal when they got to Trill in 
episode four of season three. Okay. They should have already sensed Tal. If he can, I, so there's, I didn't know that there was a telepathy involved with Trill. Well, that's the other thing that I couldn't figure out too, is when, yeah, he just holds his hand. Is there some sort of telepathy involved with sensing the, the Trill? That's, I think that's what I'm getting at. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why, what do you mean you can't? You can't sense him there. In DS9, there's been instances, too, where they just walk up to each other and they can tell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Up. No, that I get. That I get. That's because we could do that. We could look. <laughs> you could. Because we could walk up and go, oh, I, that's, you know, we talked about Bob Ross before. We did. <laughs> we did. We did. I'm not going through it again. <laughs> what what can we tell? They, they can tell who each other are just by looking no matter what form they are. They just know each other by a, by a look. They have an extreme non-face blindness. Okay. So I guess, in a sense, I guess that does imply that there might be some sort of latent telepathy happening between them. Okay. So the Trill symbionts don't have a verbal language, correct? So when they're swimming around in the pools of Makala and the caves, they have some sort of electromagnetic stuff that they can do. So, ah, I see. Okay, so perhaps Guardian Z can send a little bit of Z's assuming he's joined these electromagnetic yada yada across the regular transmission channels and try to get a signal back as if they were side by side because it is an electromagnetic signal of sorts does that it's actually a subspace signal but i'm sure there's some sort of like electromagnetism happening there Earl Grey help Jack fix a thing please <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel like I'm close to, to getting this because I read this pedantic article about how uh, it was a problem that the 31st century technology of Star Trek Discovery was in, in, indistinguishable from magic. And like the article, of course, is like a gaslight because of course it's supposed to be indistinguishable-ish from magic. Uh, it's supposed to be a thousand years in the future, but it's still like mm, they could have pushed it even further, I think, to be honest. So that leads me to trying and break down and understand some of the concepts that are at play. And I think it is important to maybe go back and figure out what is happening with the trill, because there's some sort of electromagnetic communication that the symbionts already do. And perhaps that's how they recognize each other out of the pools when they come across each other, because they can just look at each other. They can just look They can just look in their eyes and be like, oh, you're Dax, you're Odin. Well, the other thing though, that might come is, I mean, certain people, present a deeper wisdom than other people do. And you can see it on their face sometimes, no matter how young or how old they are, they just have that deeper wisdom or that greater experience than me or the guy next to me or whatever. You know, you can just scan a room in, in modern terms, uh -huh. you can just scan a room and if you're looking for advice for something, you kind of can tell who to go to. So when they add all that extra experience of X number of previous hosts, the current host could take on one of that kind of look. Sure. Yeah, I get where you're going. What they're describing here is far more refined, though, because this is I can look at you and tell that just seven years of your experience has been removed, right? Like a particular aspect of the eightfold nature of your character has been removed. Okay. Like that seems very specific. And it seems to fly in the face of the question they asked when we were on Trill, which was, 
you know, giving your names. And originally, you know, Adira was only able to give Adira, and then eventually was able to give all the names. So if they do that again later on, is she not going to be able to give Gray as one of her names? No, she can't, because he's not there. Does Tal forget Gray forever? They say that Tal has been removed. So removed, so this is a different uh, scenario than we had with Vera Dex, right? So Vera Dex was was somebody who stole the symbiont, right? Mm-hmm. And then when we put him, when we put the symbiont back, what did we do with Vera Dex? We just lock him away or we just like incorporated him? I don't remember. Is that, that's not the same host that was the uh, homicidal? Yeah, you're going yeah. to Tobin. So Tobin was the one, I believe, I could be wrong. Tobin was the one who uh, was a secret axe murderer or something. Yeah. <laughs> like a secret serial killer on the side, by the way. Well, and, and Dax didn't let Jedzia know about Tobin. Right, right, right. So was that a willful thing that Dax did? I, I don't think we know yet. And I don't think that, to be honest, I don't think the writers know yet. Did I hear a mind explosion there? No, I just I I, I was I was trying to uh, to clear Tobin Dax's name because I realized that it was not it was not Tobin Dax. Oh. <laughs> so sorry, sorry Tobin. He was actually just kind of a uh, kind of just your average kind of Joe guy. <laughs> he was he was uh, really more concerned with developing an alternate proof to Fermat's last theorem than than uh, trying to kill people. It was Joram Bellar. Yes, it was Joram Bellar because he was the artist. And he had that piano thing, and he was so, like, skilled that he was also crazy. So there's that. Have we gone far enough afield about the trill? It, we were we were having an interesting conversation. But they can sense each other through. I mean, if it's through a medium, it's through a medium. Across space gives it gives me difficulty, but over a comm system or through the air or through you know whatever liquid they exist in as as soul symbionts, then I, I get that. But the proximity seems to be seems like it should be a thing right so mm-hmm. it seems to me that if gray has disconnected from tall and is supposed to be going to the gullum if tall if gray is used to hanging around adira because that's what he's been doing right he's been hanging around adira yeah then maybe adira should stay with the body so that he can find his way instead of like leaving the body where gray is supposed to be going it, it takes adira a minute but she if they eventually figure that out. Sure. This scene that we just saw is about, I don't know. So Gray's not locked away from Adira. We won't know until we explore the next episode. No, no, no. I mean, like, regularly. Like, regularly during the course of Discovery up until now. Yeah. Gray has, Gray has not really been connected to Tall, but has been connected to Adira, it seems. Oh. I never thought about it that way. I, he didn't present himself as a previous host when they showed the circle. He wasn't there. Yes and no. He wasn't in the circle, but he was with Adira. Yeah. Is he so he's connected to Adira as opposed to being connected to Tall, which would be why it would be easier to like take the end of your spoon and like pluck him loose like an eyeball. Maybe they're just kind of vaguely reaching into the uh soulmate kind of thing. Because yeah, it seems like Adira is the host of Gray's soul. <laughs> as so here's the question. To, yeah, what is the question? Does the thing that you're calling the the golem, and I just think of as the uh, song type android, uh-huh. does it have a pocket? Can it join with another? Yeah. So I wondered this myself. Now it doesn't need. Why would it? Jo- you mean join with a symbiont? 
Yeah. That's super interesting. I hadn't considered that. I also am curious now, since you mentioned it, can you put multiple symbionts in turn in it and have the Gullum store the symbiont? Can the new Gullum buddy store several? Oh, so like protect the symbiont or maybe transport it to another or like the symbiont is old and symbiont is dying so you join it with this golem and the golem saves the symbiont you know saves the memories and all the you would have like a reverse troll the same way that gray went into the golem could you put a oh. bunch of hosts and a bunch of hosts into the golem you know previous hosts can you put a bunch of previous hosts into the golem has gray regressed does he at now act the way that he did before he was joined we've known gray and their new body for all of 15 seconds by the end of the episode yeah absolutely absolutely this is not but the season for trill my question is other than mortal wounding trill symbionts are they immortal yeah i do wonder that myself i think that it put, couldn't possibly be and i do wonder what happens if you can you poison the host body and then move the symbiont oh would the symbiont be poisoned and then therefore poison can you instead of capital punishment can you consign a non-host into a symbiont. Wait, what? Okay, wait. So, okay, so this is the here's the ultimate punishment, right? So the symbiont gets in trouble, right? Because the symbiont on his first joining did some crazy stuff, right? So he gets sentenced to the the whole the host the host with the symbiont gets sentenced to yada yada. The host body's dying, right? So they take the symbiont, and they put him in a new host who just got convicted of something. So they save that that host into the symbiont. So now there's two <laughs> better. Okay, never mind. I'm going too far. Well, you're you're forgetting. Like that... you're turning try, trying to turn a symbiont into a prison. Yeah. Or the host. You're forgetting that Trill Society does not transfer the responsibilities of the previous host into a new host. Jedzia cannot be held accountable for anything that occurs on Dit. Mm. That's interesting. Even if it was things that Curzon did after joining. So if you have a sneakily evil Trill symbiont, uh -huh. then it could lurk inside of hosts, live mostly normal life, and then like secretly on the side be your serial killer. And then when it find when it feels like it's about to get caught, it just slits its own throat and they have to move the symbiont and now the symbiont gets away with it because you can't be held liable for what happened in the last host. I don't know. <laughs> um, I wonder if that's like a trill murder mystery. <laughs> copyright, copyright, let's talk about drugs 2022. <laughs> just in case that story comes out, it's a good story, I like it. I don't know if the symbionts are capable of those kind of malicious acts or desires. Oh, do you feel like they're living like in Elysium and they're just like coming down and visiting our world so it doesn't really matter that much to them anyway? That they would kill somebody <laughs> over anything? They're they're above that. Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm getting at, sure. I hope that you're not saying that you think that they don't have any negative emotions because I'm sure they do. Dax carried a need for vengeance across across three hosts, yes, from Curzon to Jadzia to Ezri. A need for vengeance. Yeah, inside the Klingon Empire, the albino Klingon, Korkag and Cole, all that. That was Dax carrying it because Curzon was involved in it, Jadzia was involved in it, and Ezri was involved in it. Exactly they, the kind they, of shit that these fucking trill are not supposed to do. Ezri wasn't involved in it. Ezri wasn't. Are you talking about the albino? 
Well, okay. Well, I mean, she she sort of bore some of the aftermath of it, and she tried. She was trying yeah. to get the same, you know, respect because she was still Dax. I think that Dax remembered the honor bond, but I don't think Dax themselves felt the need for a revenge. Why did Jadzia still feel tied to any of that? She felt tied to her friends and the honor to... How were they her friends? They were Dax's friends. Right. That's what I'm getting at. Jadzia was also friends with these Klingons. Why? Well, why were Sisko and Jadzia friends? Because Curzon and Sisko were friends. So is that because I see my friend in a reincarnation or I see... No, it's Dax's fault. Dax is doing it. Dax is carrying it over. Because Dax was supposed to look at Cisco and pretend like Renuch is homie and keep it moving. Dax wasn't supposed to do that. That was Dax. Dax was... That's Dax carrying it over. Dax is not supposed to be doing that. Was Dax sort of borderline, like, approaching the line on that one? I think that Dax was border... Is a borderline sociopathic trill. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that Dax follows the rules of of Trill society, and I think that's why sometimes people can walk up to Dax and be like, "Oh, it's you." <laughs> you know, like, like, oh, they're gonna do that th- that shit they do because that's a Dax. You know the Daxes are because you know the Daxes are all one Dax because that Dax is Dax. Dax has got a Dax. You're the one who murdered me. Never mind. That was a portal reference. Okay. ladies and gentlemen portal on your bingo card (laughs) yeah that's one of the first things that Gladys apparently says to the player in the second game oh it's you okay (laughs) okay so when you're a hologram in someone else's room and you're sending that hologram and you're talking to them right and you're in that room with them do you also have a hologram of them in the room with you so that if you want to reach out and slap the dog shit out of them would that work <laughs> well of course you do <laughs> although it might be a smaller one i mean the, the history channel does that all the time this is not the history channel this is the future channel if r2d2 was was projecting princess leia like help me uh, you're my only hope could you reach out and slap that princess leia and she'd be like "Ooh," while she was recording it <laughs> well at the time that was a recording not a uh, broadcast message and then forever for the next like 30 years every time we saw that clip in a star wars movie it would you would be Ooh. <laughs> well that goes into so much darker territory I think that Tall yeah, sir. Uh, is doing a better job at expressing what it is to be a trill than what I think Dax I think Dax's I think Dax's margins are very blurred. Okay. And I think that Dax often comes across as an immortal shape changing, you know, form changing. She comes across often more often as a time lord than as a trill. Like I don't think you're supposed to keep like the same gener- like I don't think that when you when as a trill the host dies and you move on to a new host I don't think the companions that were in the TARDIS with you are supposed to come along with you and like still be in love with you and be all confused about why you look different and how you act a little bit different I don't know what you're talking about every single companion was completely (laughs) every what every single companion was completely innocent there was nothing going on between any of them what Rose Rose was the Rose was his girlfriend what are you talking about? He'll, if you ask him, he'll deny it. 
Amy and Rory were his parents in law. <laughs> Wait, no. Yes, hmm. because they were River Song's parents. So they were his mother and father in law. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think the marriage to the doctor, the River and the doctor being married was more of a metaphorical marriage, not. Well, I mean, how do you how do you have a marriage when you're like you're both time travelers and on different sides of like going in the wrong direction? Yeah, like the whole RPG. Yeah, that and like your different sides of the whole like RPG spectrum, right? Like one's like chaotic evil and one's like lawful good. You know, like, how do you mix it? Like, what? How do you exactly? River have is a... not chaotic evil. She might be chaotic. Oh no, evil. I was talking about the doctor. Well, the doctor's not chaotic. He can tries to control everything. What are you talking about? He might. He he picks up innocent people for no reason. For no reason at all. He picks up innocent <laughs> people from Earth and gallivants them across the galaxy, endangering their lives every week, and then expecting them to save him. What the fuck? Is <laughs> he's all got all kinds of like crazy frenetic energy? Like he's. Like he's a lunatic. Let's go run over here. Let's go run over there. Oh, God, let's go run over there. You know what, Doc? Why don't you sit down and stop endangering the whole universe? From from somebody who hasn't seen anything beyond Peter Capaldi. No. To, to somebody who has. No Chris Eccleston, even? Okay, so no Jody Whitaker. Okay. Does River come back? And do. Uh, uh, <sighs> Spoilers, sweetie. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesse from It's Got Star Trek, and we never listen to Let's Talk About Treks. So, why would you reach in that? <laughs> Without looking? <laughs> like, he's gonna pull out like a handful of slime and gunk. Like, that would have been perfect. Or just had it cut off, you know, just and the first she, knuckle. She reached into it like she knew it was control. Right, and if she knew it was control, why didn't she warn anybody? Like, why did they have to like, oh my god, and they have to like reach and grab on real quick because they were definitely about to get thrown off. Next time I beam into a cave, the first thing I'm going to do is just look around and look up. People forget to look up all the time, and they would have just found it. The scene would have been so much shorter. I mean, it was fun to watch, but uh, it was. The- I, I don't know why we. It, I enjoyed it. I, I liked the way that we had. We were solving a mystery as we were moving further in. Was that the dead teenage mutant ninja turtle that they had under the blanket? <laughs> I mean, I I was uh, kind of comparing it to maybe. Well, we we see it more fully later, but yeah, yeah, it does look di- much different later. It doesn't appear to be to be much as a. Uh, as a as a TMNT later, these guys are, are brilliant for disguising their generationship as an asteroid. That's a pretty good thought. I think they ho- actually literally hollowed out their moon. They you think they used an actual asteroid? Yeah, or or, or a moon. Yeah, I I think that they just applied their technology to a body. I mean, why build something that big if you don't have to? This is true. This is very true. That's a very good idea. Oh, I like I mean, it. And also, it depends on where your technology is focused. Do you have better capabilities of structurally reinforcing a mine, basically, or have better capabilities of building something gigantic? Where's their water storage? Because they still have to have water, right? As soon as they come out of the thing. We, we can't see the whole thing. I mean, they show how cavernous it is. We don't know. We do know. There's water there somewhere. But, well, yeah, hypothetically, yeah. 
there's also the ability like for them to uh usually a crew that's awake that's probably what happened you know like in those those uh generation ship survival movies there's usually like one crewman who's awake and like he'll wake Mm. up other people as he needs them like in uh 2001 or planet of the apes or another life it's a it's a show on netflix led by katie suckoff where occasionally they'll wake up one of the other sleeping people oh, okay. <laughs> when they need a, a particular expertise you know for the crew it's actually uh it's a pretty great show you should check it out well there was a whole movie about that where the guy was alive. i know the movie you're talking about i can't remember the title of it and i never saw it i feel like there was somebody he wasn't supposed to wake up and he did and they were okay with it and then they were mad at him that, that's what the trailer implied yeah he wasn't supposed to wake her up i don't recall what it but a but great movie i've never seen it if you guys know the uh, title of the movie please let us know in the comments yeah tell us tell us stop rambling about stuff we don't know what the hell we're talking about too. <laughs> this is mrs unplanned trek and i have never listened to let's talk about treks the i like the advancement of the Vulcan art of meditation to the point where they've de- decided that like solitude is is key so they've created these floating platforms like out in the middle of nowhere right because it's like oh, this I thought they were just being artistic is it, I don't think they do that do they do that no I don't think they do that without logic without logic involved right I thought that the effects department was just being creative well sure there's that but I mean there there's some idea that what they're putting on the screen is what's you know What's, what's what's in reality so they, they have these floating circles floating rings floating circles i guess sort of squares circular well they have floating circular platforms with like an entryway that disturbs that circle and then there are four octagonal octagonal rings that surround that that i assume are holding up that central circular platform it centers on a non-symmetrical boulder that's at the middle <laughs> middle of this this little courtyard that's floating in the air this is some sort of like isolating meditation practice where you go into like ultra focus mode (laughs) it's a good place for the uh book and navarre uh president uh, tarina bonding moment though i uh i appreciated that bonding moment she helped him identify i mean she kind of he kind of knew what was going on but um she maybe helped him put a word to it i do always appreciate when the vulcans have to explain themselves because they have to explain again and again guys guys listen oh that yeah 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 we feel shit we just don't kill you for it <laughs> like we try to like rein all that in i don't know what y'all are running around in the galaxy like emoting all over the place like we're just trying to like keep it chill like we're trying to keep it chill <laughs> So, so are they constantly high then? I think the Vulcans see everyone in the galaxy as Klingons. Yeah, like we're all riding over the galaxy like, I feel blah, blah, blah. I'm going to do this. Like, and, and the Vulcans just like, yo, listen. Well, I'm just going to put a ring around this little thing and I'm going to float it through the air and I'm going to go see my mom. And we're going to meditate together and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to meditate some more and it's going to be a chill day. I won't have to use my AK at all. <laughs> but yeah, we get it. You feel. I thought it was a really touching scene though. Although I, I thought that they could have done better to, to explain to Stamets what was going on, waiting for the present to explain it. It's like, okay, so this is how we work. You present your data. We will look over the data, but we'll do it in a meditative state. 
just FYI. Agreed. What should have happened is that he, because he was entering the situation and he was trying to take over. Here's what we're going to be doing. Everyone, like he was pulling a Jellico. <laughs> no, it's not Jellico. Who am I? Who is it? Every, okay, everyone. Here's what we're going to be doing. Uh, I don't even remember who it was, but it was someone who came down, came onto the ship, and was like, "Here's, here's, you know, here's the thing." That it we're certainly doing. seems like a Jellico thing on the on the Enterprise D. It was Q, and Q goes on the engineering, and he's like, "Okay, everyone, here's what we're going to be doing," and then he starts to describe things like changing the, the gravitational constant of the universe, and they're like, "Uh, I don't think we're we're listening to this guy." Who was that guy that visited with the traveler? Oh, sure, yeah. He was uh, kind of like that too. Kaczynski was his name. Was it Kaczynski? Yeah, it was Kaczynski who thought that he was putting in all these equations that were really just gibberish, and the traveler was augmenting them with, you know, his innate abilities. So was the traveler a species, a member of a species, or was it just he had these powers that he had developed on his own, similar to Crusher? From my recently refreshed frame of reference of watching Remember Me, the traveler is from Tal Seti Five. Is that the same planet that uh, Khan was marooned on? Oh, that was it was SETI Alpha Five. Oh, okay. The conversation the doctor had with the computer seemed to imply that the traveler was a member of a species that had the same abilities as the traveler. Furthermore, there may be some novels that dip into that a little bit and describe how, you know, how that species exists. So he wasn't unique amongst his people. I, it is my belief that he was not at all. Okay. Was his people a more rare race? I think so, but largely because they've gone other places. Have they gone beyond the edges of the Milky Way? I believe so. I believe they oh, okay. they they can do time and space quite well. They can move to any time and relative dimension in space, as it were. <laughs> Here's a question that I had about this supposed engine. Is it safe to be standing between those two... Uh, uh, multi-hagonal disc. Yeah, like, should that be where the actual dilithium crystals go <laughs> and channel the reaction? Do you maybe want to, like, not be between the two reactive energies? Yeah. I get you. Although she does walk up to that wall and pull out the dilithium. So, I mean, it's right there. Or they just have two warp cores. I think that there's probably several. Well, yeah, I guess something that size, they might need more than two nacelles, too. Yeah. So. I mean, right at the beginning of this episode, there's a ship that has apparently six. <laughs> True. Hi, I'm Dan from the It's Got Star Trek podcast, and I never listen to Let's Talk About Treks. How do they understand so quickly their tech, the the alien technology that is centuries old? That I think that some things, I think that some things are a matter of, you know, input output. You know, like I feel like uh, you're gonna boil a pot of tea the same way, pretty much. You know, wherever you go, there might be different okay. forms to the heat and different forms to the container and different forms to the water, but it's basically gonna be boiling a pot of tea. Oh, you know okay. I mean? How do you think that Michael is able to interpret these images so quickly and easily? Uh, same idea. It's almost like the golden disc that was on the uh, Voyager probe. I think people try to communicate things to other species very simply. Okay. Isn't she an astrobotanist or something like that? Oh, a xenobotanist? Yes, there we go. Thank you. 
Oh, okay. So, like, she would be aware of sort of these sorts of things, I think, culturally. Maybe. maybe I have no idea. So why did uh, Adira take the time to put on her Starfleet uniform? <laughs> that is, I mean, maybe she wouldn't serve a duty shift and decided to go to the bar during her duty shift. That's what they do when they're on duty. One of the things I didn't understand about this set. The Quark's Bar set? Is this a hologram? Are they in the holodeck? They, I do believe they're in the holodeck. I'm not really sure. I mean, this could be the ship's mess. Well, it's definitely not the mess, but it's... Did they give them some sort of lounge? I, I feel like... This, so we've seen this multiple times, and I haven't yeah. figured out whether this is... Yeah, this is not the first time we've seen this. I um, don't remember these fires. Yeah, it's it's grown more. The set has become a lot more since the first time we saw it. And okay. I imagine it will likely advance as we move forward, and then we'll learn what it is more about it okay. sort of the same way that you know we're unfolding we're un we're slowly unfolding lots of things they're unfolding lots of things for us i think this bar is okay. one of those things it's it might be an airplane you know that they're building an airplane oh they're building an airplane and it's flying yeah okay. yeah yeah the whole show is kind of well, like so that you, you think it's kind of one of those things that like the creators haven't quite figured out what they're doing yet yeah they're like hey let's do this and like okay well when we have time, we'll throw in these little scenes with the, the damn bar, if you want. Yeah. We have to make sure we always have okay. a Ferengi there. <laughs> we always have to have a Luri in there. What? Why, why are you seeing a yellow uniform? We don't really see a whole lot of yellow uniforms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, operations, right? Yeah, but we've, I mean, in other generations, we've seen more of operations. I mean, in this show, mostly all we've seen is the navy blue, uh -huh. the red, and the white. Well, I mean, Kayla Detmer's always in that yellow, and, you know, uh, Reese is always in the yellow, and, uh, you know, no, Fork, fork wait, Face. What? Fork Face Lady. Oh, She's really? always on the yellow uniform. Oh, okay. I, maybe I just forgot. Oyen Oladejo, also known as Ewosukun, who I believe we don't see during this episode at all. I don't think we see any of those characters during this episode at all. Well, I, that's interesting. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of characters missing during this episode. They are technically guest stars because they're listed in the end credits, and not in the. Well, nobody. Not in the opening part. There's a lot of other guest stars in here too, this episode. So I think that that might help explain that. Like Tarina is here and Rillick is here. So do we have time for Reese and do we have time for. Well, and we haven't really done a bridge scene in this episode. Uh, this is a good point. The The whole bait concept of using Tilly seems very short sighted because she, she knew that Tilly had sabotaged the thing, right? So she could have just beamed in with the sword to Tilly's throat. Oh, I see what you're saying. So beamed in with. The sword in her back and then just shove yeah. it forward as she's being made. exactly <laughs> unless it's required that they give people the choice uh, to choose to live but we do see uh adira going back to the bar scene yeah we sure. do see adira kind of coming to the conclusion oh wait yeah i should be at her side his side when they came to that conclusion i was like yeah welcome like what i don't know why you would have left in the first place like you're the one that keeps him because culpepper told him to take a walk colebeard should have kept his beard to himself beard <laughs> yeah because remember like he didn't have a beard until was it this season uh i think he got it last season okay i could be wrong when adira walked into the room where gray was mm -hmm. and they were surprised by the door shutting who was surprised by the door shutting <laughs> you gotta go back and see it adira walks into the room and the door slides shut and adira jumps when the door slides like they weren't expecting the door to shut that's just how much focus Adira was. Oh, is that what we were showing? Okay. Going back to, like, say, real life situations, mm -hmm. if your friend or relative is in a coma, I mean, they always talk to, to suggest sitting there with them and holding their hand and talking to them. 
yeah. to kind of bring them some grounding and reality. Sure. Yeah. This is a this is a thing that that I witnessed when uh, when my father passed. We were at the hospital and it was time to turn off the machines. And my sister started talking, and she talked to him the whole time. Mm-hmm and gave words of comfort and words of fulfillment and words of gratitude and words that were like far beyond any grace that I could imagine to come out of my mouth in that moment because, you know, the the shock and the loss and the grief were, you know, uh, at a bottleneck for me. Yeah. I was glad at that point that I felt like I, like he and I had said a lot of intimate and important things to one another and I didn't feel like there was anything that I had missed out on saying by not talking him out, but then she did such a graceful job as his heartbeat went to zero that it felt very complete. So I get the whole thing about like, just having someone there with you as you're transitioning as an abiding comfort. Like I, that's for me, that's palpable because of that moment, you know, like it sort of has a, a an analogy, an analogous um, feel to it. If that makes sense, I hope I didn't go too deep. <laughs> no, that that's perfect. I mean, I was, I wasn't witness to any of this, but my mom, for both my grandpa and my grandma, was at their side. And with, with my grandpa, who passed first a couple of years ago, she was at his side. And have you ever been to, like, say, more specifically, like a Lutheran church. I've been to many different kind of denominations, denominations of church. Well, I guess almost every church does this. They kind of end the service with "Go in peace, serve the Lord." Sure. As he was in, in the hospital bed, as he was fading, she was stro- holding his hand and stroking his hand, and she was saying, "The completion of that, go in peace. You've served the Lord." Ah, uh, I see. And she was giving him permission to go. Sure. It, it is a really beautiful thing, us guiding each other into, you know, another phase or the next place. And there is, like, definitely a certain intimacy in it and a certain trust and a certain uh, expression of love that I am glad has found its way into this, this Star Trek. It was clumsily done once upon a time, but there was so much exchange of back and forth that it became like, Jim... I have been <laughs> and always shall be. You know, and then there's Kirk like not really saying much of anything. But cool. <laughs> no. And then when, when they get we gotta get right back into the co-op Malot fight because this is Star Trek Discovery after all, right? We gotta keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving, keep going. <laughs> We're back to the fight to the death. <laughs> this most tender moment. We gotta move right back into action, action, action. Let's go. Get that knife at your throat. Move on. I think that Javini comes up against her own personal Kobayashi Maru. Oh. When she is set with the situation of, um, do I entrust others with the fate of my lost cause? Or do I continue with my lost cause in a way that will surely lead to failure anyway? Mm-hmm. So I think that that was her Kobayashi Maru of, like, you hold on, let us try to fix this. And then you don't have to worry about your lost cause because it won't be a lost cause anymore. Good evening, this is Patrick from the It's Got Star Trek podcast. And I never listen to Let's Talk About Treks. Where does the power for the transporters come from? Uh, bookship? How closely tied to the Starfleet technology on Discovery is bookship in that case? 
Well, if they upgraded uh, the discovery to 32nd, te- 32nd century technology, yeah, then very close. So do you think that Zora has access to like the replicators on Book's ship? Why would she need access to that? Mm, not need, have. I guess hypothetically she could network into them, yeah. Okay. In addition to the uh, to the open uh, shuttle bay, Bookship is also a potential exploit vector. Exploit entryway, a way into the ship. You know, like you put a virus on the ship on the on Bookship, send it back home, it gets into the Discovery. Oh, and then it infects the rest of the ship. Or you know, drop a bomb into the shuttle bay's open door, blows up on the ship. <clears throat> well, I'm sure that there is uh, virus protection, you know, that they're constantly scanning for a threat every time, say, book ship docks with a discovery. That's strange because it doesn't scan for stowaways. It doesn't? Clearly, no. Oh, short tracks. Yeah. The queen wasn't captured and put in that box as cargo then. Is that what you thought happened? No. Oh. I, it was something I was just thinking of. No, I think she put herself in that in that box. Those okay. aliens from Jiminy's Lost Cause do look like 8472s. And I do wonder, is this some sort of Pandora's box that we're accidentally opening? The other thing I thought they might look like is kind of the Zindian sectoids. Fair, fair. I was thinking that maybe they were going to be the new Magog by mistake. <laughs> um, you know, because well, this defi- is Andromeda. They're definitely some sort of hexapods. Meaning they have six legs, six yes. Uh, appendages. Yes. But yeah, I mean, when I saw them reanimating all of these thousands or millions of individuals, yeah. I'm like, yeah. are we waking a sleeping dragon here? Are we awakening the swarm? Are they going to like gestate wildly on their planet and then come bursting out into the rest of the galaxy? <laughs> Because that's, I think that's was the idea of the Magog. Like, they reproduce so quickly. Like, a vicious tribbles. One of the things that they have that, say, Michael and the rest of the Starfleet or the Federation have going for them, though, is, mm-hmm. okay, but you've got to be thankful for it to us because we fixed your technology. You kind of, you can at least be grateful that we helped you. Uh, yeah, unless the one person that was killed was, like, their leader who was supposed to originally awaken them. Uh-huh. You know, when they got to the place, but didn't end up awakening them because they got killed. And is that species going to distinguish the person that killed them from the people that awakened them? Like, is it going to matter uh... that they're different? Or is it just like non-us? Non, you, you all are non-us, so you all are responsible for this. Oh, okay. Well, that's a good point. I think uh, we will find out. We shall see. <laughs> we'll see. You gotta wonder if Tilly is working particularly slowly so that Michael has time to negotiate this. Let's just wake him up. We'll finish your mission. Help you finish your mission. Oh, yeah. I guess that could be probably an intentional thing. I don't know. I think they could be that that coordinated, having worked together for so long. You were mentioning this one that she was in telepathic contact with. That is a valid point. I mean, that's something I wondered myself. Was were they the guardian of their entire race, kind of like the Horda? Not necessarily were they supposed to wake them up because they, in, I mean, otherwise all they had to do is turn it on, but they actually had to fix something in their technology. Right. They had to fix the alarm clock. Hey, uh, I'm Thomas Sashwick, and I have never listened to Let's Talk About Tracks. If a Vulcan falls off a cliff, do they stay silent? It probably depends on the Vulcan. 
and, and whether he chose to fall off the cliff or not. Yeah. Is this Schrodinger's Vulcan that we're creating? <laughs> He's both alive and dead? He's both screaming and not screaming. Sure. Depending on whether the cliff is there or not. Is he base jumping or is he being shoved off a cliff? Oh, I think there's too many factors. I don't think it matters. <laughs> I think you have to boil it down to, in the void of this box, he is falling forever. Is he screaming? <laughs> okay. Does Vulcan have one or two suns? I mean, I thought I remembered that it had two. If the moon shines during the day, does it look like a sun? No. Oh, it doesn't? The moon? Yeah. During the day? Yeah. It doesn't look like a sun. It doesn't? No, it looks like a faded cloud. Okay. Yeah, as far as I know, they have one sun. Did, it, did they have two suns? I was probably thinking of something else. Okay. I mean, they're kind of like a desert planet. Or very arid planet. Yeah, they are supposed to be a desert planet, which is why I always thought that the lack of a moon made sense. But apparently we've decided that that's not the case. I think that not having a moon would imply that the Vulcans themselves came from somewhere else as well. Being an arid planet and having more than one star in your solar system kind of makes a connection to another desert planet that has two suns. Which one? Tatooine? Yeah, that's probably where my connection was coming from. I got you. I like how brave Book is be being in the scene. He knows that there's something that needs to be done for the better good. Oh, uh, Now, why do the science council members just operate out? Oh, because for privacy. Because oh. it's a very intimate moment, so they don't, they don't want to intrude. Putting myself in those shoes, I don't think they would require bravery. I think it would require curiosity and a desire to get some sort of relief like he he already sat in his shuttle his ship and like reviewed the moments again and again and again and again so to be able to relive those moments and see if there's anything you know to at least set my mind at ease is there anything i could have seen or could have done uh -huh. you know yeah I, I would want to do that or at least something that could have helped and and he pushed further like everyone was telling yeah. him no don't you can't handle it and he's like no what are you talking about i got this let me just see what i want to see I, she doesn't stop him she doesn't keep him from doing this and Stamus definitely Stamus tries to, to think for book and say no on his behalf but it's like no I you didn't even ask me what I think of it you were just like you don't you shouldn't have to do this oh you before the mind melt yeah you, you shouldn't have to do this what I want to do this what are you talking about and he understands before the, uh, the president says this but you know you can't change these memories you can't remember it differently I think that book knew that already and I think that it was yeah. extra for her to say that and I think that it implied that she thought something different of what his intentions were. Well, and, and just a casual reminder that to the audience too, yeah. this scene made me cry. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Especially, I, when, especially when he just like, the boy just like disapparates away. I thought it was a little bit more touching when you, when we as, or for me as the audience member, maybe uh -huh. you didn't notice this, but he comes to, Maybe he didn't notice the first time because I think in the first time they showed the scene, they showed the boy's forehead glowing. And you realize why the boy's forehead was glowing the way their foreheads do when they're having a an empathic encounter oh, that's with nature or each other. Mm -hmm. And it's the boy receiving the love of his uncle. Oh, that's what the forehead glow was. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And you realize that he's realizing it for the first time that he didn't notice that before because huh. it's so natural to them. And it's just kind of like, oh, well, you have a, a glowy forehead, but yeah, like it's not even a thing. You don't point it out every time you see it. Sure, 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 sure. 
for me, that was where the the dots were finally connected, that he was making this connection. He didn't notice that before. Yeah, because he had felt like disconnected from everything because of his life yeah. as a courier, as I understand. Which, uh, if I now recall, happened because his brother wanted to sell the beasts and Book wanted to protect the beasts. So in order to protect his planet, he had to get away from it, which seemed like an abandonment. But no, he was going around getting these these worms and bringing them to safety. Were those worms on a set? The, the sanctuary that those worms were, he was dropping those worms off at was his planet? Oh, that was my understanding. Yeah, yeah, he took them to Quajon. Oh, so those worms are dead now too. All his work is... Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> Appreciate your... At least you could look on the bright side. Earl Grey's bright side thing. <laughs> well, I mean, that's another loss for him then. All that hard work that he put in. Yeah, yeah, his life's work. His entire life's work. I mean, you're right. It's not a bright side, but it helps bring a deeper meaning to some of his deeper grief in that too. And his prolonged or seemingly prolonged grief. I, I love the Vulcan's reaction to the end of the mind melt, though. She's absolutely shattered because she just felt all of that. Yeah. And she's like humbled by the fact that he's holding it the fuck together. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry I tried to say no mind melt because clearly you know. I didn't see it that way but her line was perfect. She's like my condolences are inadequate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need that. I feel that way all the yeah. time. It's like how what 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 good is it for me to say well my condolences and that's often the stance of the person on the other side so like for her to say my condolences are in it or like implies that link mind meld deep understanding of you know what whatever the fucking bullshit i was about to say forget it because <laughs> it means absolutely <laughs> not a goddamn thing so let me just shut the fuck up and keep it moving <laughs> like what are you gonna do like Hi, I'm Jack from Two Minute Trek, and I've never heard of Let's Talk About Treks. So here we have the actual awakening of the sleeping dragon. Yeah, the entire, the, the whole big circular mess is awakened. The whole big ravening, <laughs> flesh-chewing mess that's going to be tearing them apart limb from limb next season. Well, and, and they must have had stored some small smaller vessels on their moon space station. I mean, they have their whole civilization there, it seems like, don't they? Or at least enough for a civilization? Yeah. They probably also have vehicle replicators. Possibly. It makes you wonder, did they just rescue themselves, or did they rescue two of each kind of the other animals on their planet? Oh, that's interesting. They have to have more than two, unless they have a really great automated drive system, and if they only have two, well, they've lost one. You know where I was coming from with that. I do, I do. I wonder if they have all kinds of animals. Maybe, like, we have a seed arc today. Maybe they had, like, a uh, genetic arc for just more than seeds, but maybe other genetic samples as well. Doesn't the Federation have one of those? A genetic arc? Uh, a seed arc. Oh, yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah, uh-huh. It is an incredible scene to see all those ships flying down to their new home world. Yep. It's almost like fertilization. Well, and then they take these little starfighters and they zip past them. They're like, oh, yeah, here we go. We can acknowledge. Just want to do a little flyby. Breaker yeah. Breaker 1-9, thank you very much. Moving down to the planet. Guys, I see a UFO. <laughs> yeah, I, they might have been the guys that helped us. I mean, we saw them kind of leave as we uh, were waking up. Make sure they're not coming towards us and then come on down here. 
<laughs> yep. Well, it looks like they're just staring at us, watching us fly by and fly up to the down to the left of the moon planet thing. Well. Hello, I'm Andrew from Unplanned Trek, and I've never listened to Let's Talk About Treks. What philosophy? I wonder how uh, how easy it is to like twist it into something not positive. Uh huh. Like, what if you know the totalitarian rule of an entire people is a lost cause? Would a Kawat Malat bind their sword to Voldemort? <laughs> or other people we don't mention? Yeah, exactly. So, like, say, say you're 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 trying to run around the the world, spreading the lie that you won, uh, say, like I don't know, like a presidential election that you didn't actually win, and that people were stealing it from you, and that you needed help to win this lost cause. Would a Kawat Malat bind their blade to you because it is indeed a lost cause? I, I think they take on the you know they they listen to the cause first. Um, they don't just take on every lost cause. Okay, got it. Yes. They would say, no. sir, in this case, uh, the path you are on has come to an end. Choose to live and go back to Mar-a-Lago <laughs> quietly, or... Just turn yourself in to be arrested, please. Yeah, just let let us know that the things that we saw... Stop, stop fighting this. Because no longer does it work when you say, don't believe the things you see or the things you hear, because we all heard you say, let's go down there and we're going to stop this thing. And that's called obstructing the peaceful transition of power. And the attempt in that was to make sure that you stayed in office over the will of the people and the normal functions of the Congress. Not only is that treason, is that okay? So no worries, Javini will be held accountable. Well, and it was so great how, I mean, they found a way to bring her in and the, there was no option for dead or alive. There was just alive. And nobody in this whole thing ever just considered we might have to bring her in dead. Everybody was on the same page on this and it worked. I don't know that there could have been a case where they would have needed to bring her in dead unless if she killed Burnham, then Tilly would have brought her in dead, I'm sure. <laughs> what ship is out the window behind them? Is that the Enterprise? Is, is my thinking for some reason? I don't know why that makes me think of that, but it looks like an Enterprise to me. Okay. And as we are sprawling across this orchestral metaphor and watching this ship out of the, out of the uh, window, I'm like, is this a new... Enterprise? Do you think we would ever do a new Enterprise show? Um, do we need to if the Enterprise is not the flagship anymore? We don't know for sure that Discovery's... <sighs> Could they the do a show called Voyager The Next Generation? <laughs> and this time, like, intentionally send the ship to, like, another galaxy and just tell them, okay, find your way back? <laughs> like it's a game show? <laughs> Big Brother huh? Star Trek! They could, like, do a... Uh spore drive that had an automatic breakdown you can only use it once kind of thing what why would you ever use it well send them away on a spore drive uh-huh breaks as immediately as soon as they get there uh-huh and then tell them to find their way back sounds like an evil mission uh this would be a good federation style rehab thing you know where like you just take the criminals and you take some good guys and you put them on a ship really far away and tell them to find their way back and by the time everyone gets back i bet you everyone will be good <laughs> or because they're not going to become I mean, yeah exactly 
So one way or another. Well, that's what it was like with the original Voyager. I mean, they were stranded with a bunch of criminals. Exactly. Who may as well have wanted them all dead so that they could, you know, continue to fight for their cause or get their freedom. Sure. Sure, absolutely. They were they were a prison ship in 1776 full of American revolutionaries uh, that was stranded on a desert deserted island with a whole bunch of redcoats. The Federation were Are you coats. talking about Farscape or No, I was talking about Voyager. I it sounds very supremacy the premise I sound very similar. Although they're not. So Voyager Voyager, the Federation with the Redcoats. And uh, Oh I get it. I remember the analogy. I'm just saying oh, okay. it's uh, it's I could I could plug and play Farscape aspects as well and come up with the same story. Which is to say, that's a story that needed to happen around that time. There were rebels in Farscape? There was what? Oh, they were all prisoners that escaped. Yeah, they were all, well, except for uh, Claudia Black here, Aaron Soon, who was an officer who was tasked with with fought with uh, recapturing with capturing them, but spent so much time with them that she then became tainted and was cast off from her own people. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was a and prison then, ship. And then they Michael had to remove the shackles of the prison him. ship. Yeah, but then he became well, no, because he became a criminal because he helped the prisoners escape, and he, he killed he killed Grace's brother. Remember? Accident. But no, they don't. They didn't believe that though. They think that he did it on purpose. Because it's such a million to one shot. Like, come on, how are you gonna fall through a wormhole and exactly hit somebody? Sound familiar? No. You don't remember Star Trek Discovery season three, episode one, where we fall out of a wormhole and then smack into somebody? Oh, okay. Only this time we didn't kill him, like John Crichton. This time <laughs> they just tumbled with us and we became friends. Imagine the friendship that John Crichton missed out on <laughs> by killing Grace's brother. Maybe, maybe Grace was the crazy one, but his brother was the cool one. And his brother would have, like Talon would have been like a, a like super duper friend. It would have been like a great like sidekick. He'd have been like the Robin to Moya's Batman. Okay. I do always need a little more Tilly and Saru than I think I do. Okay. I didn't think I needed any Tilly and Saru, and then when season three, episode one happened, I was like, oh, oh, I totally need Tilly and Saru. <laughs> Together. Please, can we have some more Tilly and Saru? Hi, we're, we're Dan, Patrick, and, and Jesse. From the It's Got Star Trek podcast. And we never listen to Let's Talk About Treks. She's already changed too, so she's been back for a minute. She's changed? She looks like she's wearing Kuwait Malat gear. You're right, it does. I just kind of realized that. What does she mean is it strange to be back? Back from where? Where's he been? He was, he's been on Kavanaugh for a while, for several months with uh, Sukal. He just got so back. So this is just the first chance that she's had to ask him that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've been back to the season for a while, too. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's been very busy, you know. Okay. But look at all the plants he moved back. Did he move all these plants back in here, or does one have to take care of the plants while he was gone? I don't know. That's a great question, right? Very curious. I, I, I love this. Is this little callback to the earlier in the episode. He's like, wait, wait. She's like, no, I just... He's... Tilly and the Saru are the doctor and his companion. Okay. But I like how, you know, she, he's like, well, don't touch the 
the swamp kelp when it's in bloom she's like well why and he's like i don't know the writers didn't tell me because they didn't figure it out yeah that is exactly what his line was <laughs> the wake-up scene is like breathless mm-hmm. i'm just completely like enthralled that it's happening this entire episode especially the last three well the last half of it is very touching i i don't think there was um i i think the saru and tilly scene was a nice break but I don't think there was any scene besides that that wasn't somewhat emotional to me. And Adira and Gray are so affectionate to each other. They are, and I was wondering, were they about to kiss before Colbor opened the door? <laughs> right? The world may never know. I think so. The other thing I'm also kind of realizing or wondering is they made Gray's body the way Gray wanted their body to be. Yes. And they're definitely calling Gray he now. Yes. So maybe this was also for Gray the final ability to wake up after surgery and be in the body that they've always wanted. What do you mean by that? Uh, Post-transition surgery. Like gender transition? Yeah. Gray hasn't expressed anything about that. Well, you're, they're not going to say it open on a TVPG show. I know. I'm. I'm starting to wonder if that's a, even going to come into it at all. It seems like it would. It seems like it would be logical and inevitable. But I don't. I feel like maybe we're going to avoid that altogether somehow. I don't know. To make it easy, we would have just fixed it when he got a body. I think with the fixing of the mole that Gray never liked, I think that right. was them getting as close to it as they dare in in the 2020s. Interesting, because I would have gone way further. You know. <laughs> well, With Doctor Who just did it. They did. They went from male to female. So the Doctor is now a transgendered individual. Yeah, but they didn't actually talk about the fact that doc- the Doctor is transgender. They didn't. Act- the actual sur- you know, the actual yeah transition. The, the tran- yeah, but they. I mean, she did address you know how she came to it you know and 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 felt about it as you know when it when she first got there that's another thing is the uk has always been a little bit more progressive sure. than the united states in, in in aspects like that yeah a little bit less violently judgmental like judgmental sure but not judgmental to the point of like oh we're all going to kill you because yeah you know what i mean yeah. there is i'm sure there's an element of that but it's not the vast majority this episode was filmed with extreme close-ups which i thought were were used to a great effect to tell uh not only story but to used in a wonderfully artistic fashion mm-hmm. so what you have here is a beautiful blending of art and science because we are still in the middle of a pandemic right so we can't have a lot of people around at the same time so we built this vr wall right which helps us tell the story a lot and gives us a blurred background that's pretty much perfect as long as the character is in close-up they may have to tweak it a little bit to make it really come alive for like action shots and that kind of thing but it's good for being a blurred background so the best thing you can have for a blurred background is a close-up so are you saying that on some of these sets are they kind of trying to cloak the fact that there's literally only two actors on set and maybe a cameraman or two 
they're just doing that blending of the CGI with the natural world. Like the Vulcan set, I'm sure was on the VR stage. Okay. The asteroid set was on a VR stage. Okay. You know, which is which is just that that VR wall where they just they bring in a floor, and then everything else comes you know is on is in the the wall. Okay. So it's good for when you have long shots that end up having you know a blur in them because it's a distant shot anyway. Mm-hmm. So then you put a close up right there. If you were to ever explore into watching at least the how they made it of Mandalorian they're actually able to do they don't have to blur it as much oh okay well I'm going to go ahead and watch how Star Trek does it on the Hey Nerd show what episodes do you recommend I recommend all of them (laughs) I I meant of the Hey Nerd show that's what I'm talking about as well you got to get as much Will Wheaton as you possibly can oh okay the way and the world goes for around. those who are maybe a little bit out of the loop, what's the Hey Nerd show? Oh, it's called The Ready Room. It's an after show that accompanies uh, each episode of Star Trek uh, Discovery, at the very least. Uh-huh. Uh, it's narrated and hosted by Will Wheaton, and they built a new set just after the pandemic. Just as after the uh, first wave of the pandemic, I should say. So, thank you for joining us on our adventure through uh, Season 4, Episode three of star trek discovery what do we have next time Ro? next time we have of course season four episode four mm-hmm. all is possible all is possible how much of all is plausible how much of all is desirable <laughs> find out next episode on star trek discovery tilly and adira lead a team of starfleet academy cadets on a training mission that takes a dangerous turn would it be a Starfleet training mission if it didn't take a dangerous turn? I mean, is there ever a normal day in Starfleet? Data's day. Or, oh, wait, no. There was a Romulan spy. Never mind. Or a, a boring day in Starfleet. Or Well, I mean, Janeway and he- Kim have that exact conversation. Weird is part of the job. Yes. <laughs> All right, so I guess, uh, I guess that's it. Do we want to put some numbers? Let's do some numbers. My number is... Oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say my number is nine for the rating of this episode because, you know, that's what I choose. I like the story about the Magog. <laughs> I like the story about uh, the the new host prototype because is this now a host for symbionts? Um, we're gonna pop different symbionts in and out of this new host. But good uh-huh. question though. Does it have a pocket? Can it can it host a symbiont? Can it host multiple symbionts? Mm. I mean, they did kind of indicate in the burn that they lost so many hosts. Oh, so now this one host could host multiple symbionts. Although they might have lost a lot of. Symbionts. They could carry around a bunch of symbionts like a colostomy bag. <laughs> <laughs> a colostomy bag of symbionts. Just flippy dipping around each other in there like a bunch of eels. <laughs> like a bunch of shit. <laughs> anyway, so. Okay, guys, thanks for, so much for joining us. Stay positive, dream big, and you'll hear from us again soon. And support the continued making of this show through Patreon.com. Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. 
Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kako 3Bird. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay.